0: Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, episode 254. I have a challenge for you. Do you want to help me help the community around us? Well, that's exactly what I'm doing in Keep Kim Accountable, a new weekly challenge I've set for myself in the Positive Productivity Facebook group. Every week I post three goals that I have for myself for that week. And if you, a listener, post a screenshot of your review of this podcast in the thread below that week's goals, then for every goal that I don't meet, I will donate $25 to a charity of your choice. By the way, if I reach all my goals this week, but don't reach them next week, your name will be carried forward for all of eternities, so your charity could benefit multiple times. To get involved, visit thekimsuttoncom forward slash group and join the Positive Productivity Facebook group. I hope to see you there. Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton. And if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I'm so happy that you are here to join us today. I'm also thrilled to introduce our guest, Jeffrey Shaw. Jeffrey is a podcaster, photographer, author, and speaker, and the host of the Creative Warriors podcast. Jeffrey, welcome. Well, thanks. I have a blooper in the first second.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm thrilled to be here with you.
0: I was going through and I just had to jump here for a second because you gave me podcaster envy. I was going through your, your list of guests that you had, and I already shared with this, this with you in the pre-chat, but I was just drooling. And you have, you have big names, you have not so big names, and I love seeing that I, I know personally some of the, the not so big names. I would love to journey to how you started the podcast at some point, but can you take us back even further to how you got on this part of your journey of life?
1: Gosh, you know, it's, uh, it is quite the journey. So I've, I've been a portrait photographer for affluent families for 33 years now. Uh, so I photographed their families, their children on location, and I've been doing that since the age of 20 and, you know, loved it. And like a lot of us, you know, I felt like I was right on purpose. This is what I meant to do. and, And I gave it my all and truly loved it and still do. I just do photography in a very limited amount. Now in 1999, this idea of a business coach crossed my mind and you know, Kim in 1999, nobody was talking about business coaches. Like it was just, you know, not really a known industry, but I hired a business coach and loved every moment of it. And I stayed with that coach for seven years, speaking to him three times a month. So when he retired, it just, it inspired me to try to do for others what he did for me, which as a, as an entrepreneur, I felt, I found really grounding. Like I, it was like therapy for business. So not only were we being productive and coming up with business strategies, but I needed that person to talk to because being an entrepreneur is a really lonely experience in a lot of ways. So I loved it and I wanted to do that for others. So I went to coach training and I've never stopped being in training. I mean, I started, I think in 2008, I did my first training program as a coach and I've never stopped. And of course, once you're a coach, next thing you know, people are inviting you to speak on stage. And uh, the podcast I started in July of 2014, it was really a personal challenge. Somebody had mentioned the idea to me two years earlier, and I poo pooed the idea. I'm like, podcast, isn't that like outdated? And that was in 2012. But in 2014, I took it upon myself as a personal challenge. I'm like, hmm, I've always chased my dreams. I've always earned every dollar. I wonder what would happen if I had a podcast. I wonder if anybody would show up. I wonder if guests would say yes. I wonder if I would have listeners. And I I wanted to challenge myself because again, I had always been a chaser. And I wondered, am I worthy of coming to, you know, Um, I like I I always said, as a photographer, I always felt like a professional guest because I was the one always asking for the bathroom. And um, so that's why I started the podcast. And lo and behold, it was crazy. Like major people said yes. People show up in droves. It's, you know, it's a really popular show and um, way beyond whatever I could have expected. But and now I've written my first book and, and, you know, part of what I talk about in the book, the, the, the concept of the book, Lingo, kind of wrap it up in, with this part of the conversation is the idea of Lingo is to only work with your ideal customers. And one of the unseen advantages of working with your ideal customers is they bring out the best in you. This is what a lot of people don't realize. You know, a lot of people, we talk about ideal customers because they're going to spend the most amount of money or what have you, but they also bring out the best in us. And often people can see more in us than we can see in ourselves. And that to me is what happened with the podcast. Like when I started that podcast and big names were showing up as guests and, you know, tens of thousands of people listened to the show, you know, weekly, monthly, I just wanted to get better at it. And then it just kept growing. Um, so I think that's an important part of entrepreneurship and, and you know, the whole idea of productivity, how to how to be productive is to work with your ideal customers who bring out the best in you so that you can be better and more productive. So that's that's a little bit about my journey. So here we are today. I've just, you know, just released my first book. And um, that's been the scariest leap I think I've taken thus far. So we'll see.
0: Oh, my gosh, Jeffrey, you brought up so much for me right here. And. And in our pre-chat, I was sharing how I get so many questions and thoughts while guests are talking. Not that I'm thinking about it, but you just bring out so much. And then I, listeners, listen to my most recent blooper reel. I don't know if it will be released before or just after this episode with Jeffrey, but I'm sure I'll say brain fart at least once <laughs> because I have so many of these awesome questions. But I had to tell you when I started my podcasting journey in 2016. I was sending inquiries to who would be my dream guests. And I nearly dropped to the floor when the first one said yes. Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, this really just happened. And my husband sees me like over jumping, and that's not something that I do. He's like, What's up? I was like, he said yes. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and and I felt like it was talking to a celebrity, but the more I've gone on through this journey, I realize everybody's just a person.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. My, my first guest was Sally Hogshead, who, you know, author, branding expert. I mean, she's huge and she's in the the yeah, Hall of, huge. you know, in the um, National Speakers Association Hall of Fame. She was my first guest. And you know, meanwhile, I had been reading her books and taking her fascination advantage assessment. And she's like one of the people I admire most in the world. And I decided I wanted her to be my first guest. So I tweeted her on a Sunday I figured even if she had a team who supported her on social media, and I don't know if she does, she might be doing it all herself, but just in case, I figured they were less likely to be doing it on a Sunday, so maybe she would answer. And sure enough, she did. So I tweeted her on a Sunday and said, hey, I'd love for you to be a guest on my show. And she was. And then seven, I think seven, at least seven, eight-time bestselling author, Michael Port, he was my second guest. Because I reached out to him and said, hey, I have this new podcast. Would you be so generous to be a guest? Said, sure. I mean, it's crazy the level of generosity among some people out there in life that, that are just doing huge things that are willing to show up for you. Um, it's, it's pretty amazing.
0: Absolutely. Listeners, in our pre-chat, Jeffrey and I were talking about how our lives have crossed paths without us even knowing. We were both in Greenwich at the same time. And this has happened uh, with previous guests. Chris Worth and I actually lived in this, or not lived, we worked in the same building in Greenwich, Connecticut, of all places. just yes, not a big town. No. At the same time. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Right. So Chris Worth of the No Quit Living podcast, Jeffrey Shaw and I all were in Greenwich, Connecticut at the same time, unknowingly working our own lives, doing our own things. Podcasts. At that time, I mean, this is 2004, a podcast wasn't even on the horizon for any of us. And now look, it's just, it's amazing. But I want to go back to ideal clients because this is a journey that I have just realized that I needed to be more aware of in the past two years, actually. I was taking on every single person who inquired. If they were willing to pay me, then I was saying yes. And it got me so anxious and so stressed. But I also realized I was working in scarcity mode. Yeah if I don't take this person, where am I going to get money? But I realized that just like you said, you know, that it's a higher quality relationship. It's not just about the money, but they respect you as a person. They respect your ideas. They're willing to pay more. Yes, because it is that higher quality of relationship and the respect is just there.
1: You know, hey, the theme of your show, you know, how to to be most productive, right? I mean, the way to be the most productive in your business is to work with your ideal customers. You know, one of the things I talk about in the book, Lingo, is busting up the Pareto principle, which is the 80-20 rule. And, you know, hey, it's, it's a well-known theory and it works in a lot of places in life, you know, that, that says 80% of your income comes from 20% of your customers. But I don't know about you and I don't know any entrepreneur that can actually afford for eight out of 10 customers to not work out. <laughs> like, that's basically what that's saying. You know, the 80-20 rules, it means two out of 10 customers are actually worth your time. None of us can afford that. And to your point, like people get caught in the scarcity mode because they, the only reason people work with non-ideal customers is because they need, need, they need the money, right? But to actually be at your most productive at some some period of time, you need to focus on only working with your ideal customers so that you can get to the point of not needing the money as quickly as possible. Right? So if there's a transition there at all, it's pretty brief. It's the transition of saying no if you need to say no to so that you can leave the space available and make sure you're only seen by your ideal customers. And that's really at the end of the day that's what Lingo is about. Lingo is a marketing and branding book with the sole goal for entrepreneurs and small businesses to only work with their ideal customers. And I lay out a five-step strategy where you're building a brand that is only speaking the secret language of your ideal customers. So those people that are not your ideal customers, they don't get you. They don't understand your brand. They don't get your branding message. It doesn't mean anything to them. They don't share your values, so they don't show up. What I always say is if done well, the secret language strategy that I teach in the book and resulting in a brand that speaks the secret language of your ideal customers, done well, it's both a magnet and a filter. It should absolutely magnetize your ideal customers, filter out the rest, And Kim, here's why. There's a a quote I use often to try to drive this home, which is, people don't hire you because you're the best. They hire you because you get them and they get you. And we have to remember, we are consumers. And I've been around a long time and in business a long time. And I've seen this transition in the 80s and even the 90s. People would hire you because you were prestigious. uh, You were considered the best in your field. Nowadays, people don't hire you because you're the best. They hire you because they feel like you get them, like you understand them. We're not willing to put up. I don't care if you're the best in your field. If you're horrible to get along with, I'm not going to hire you or I'm not going to buy your service or I'm not going to come back to your business. We have such little tolerance today, rightfully so. We have little tolerance for bad business practices, inauthenticity and immoral behavior in business.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: I mean, look what happened to Uber, right? <laughs> you know, Uber, you know, made a stance that was against the viewpoint of a lot of people and, you know, millions of people abandon myself included, abandoned doing business with Uber and switched to Lyft or some some other car service, right? Because we won't do business. Many of us will not do business with somebody we don't share their values with. That is far more powerful than being the quote unquote best in any industry because, you know, Kim, the other way of looking at it is, there. how do you even say you're the best at what you do? I mean, it's so subjective. You're only the best to your ideal customer. You're not the best to somebody who doesn't get you in the first place. So it's completely subjective.
0: Yeah. Something that I've even realized, though, in the past two years, and this is part of my whole positive productivity journey, is that I realized that a lot of what I was seeing on social media could be totally false. I mean, people, and I'm sort of laughing because you said you were taking family portraits of the affluent a lot of the people in the communities that I was a part of were taking pictures of themselves in front of fancy cars or in their new, quote, houses. But who knows if they rented it for a photo shoot, you know? We don't know that that's actually yours, but what I found even more bigger, more bigger, that was very eloquent, wasn't it?
1: I like it. Yeah, It's good. It's good. Just go with that. More bigger. More
0: bigger than that is... (laughs) The bedside manner of the people that I'm working with, specifically people that I'm working with for my business, and this is how I want to be with my clients as well. The bedside manner has to be there. No, you're not my doctor. But if I hire you to do something and you are constantly pushed for time and you can only give me two seconds because that's all that you have clocked in, I want people to respect my time and I want to respect other people's time. But don't be having a meeting with me just because I paid for you to have a meeting with me and don't... like, don't not care about what's actually going on behind the scenes because I want people to have a bigger picture. So I love that you said that.
1: Yeah, you know, it's, it, Lingo is, here's one of the things I think that makes the book Lingo unique. Um, and I actually fought for this because, you know, I said to some another host that we need another category in book sales. Like whether it's Amazon or, you know, going to an old-fashioned bookstore, there's like business books and there's self-help. Like we need a third category because those two things should not be separate, honestly. I mean, entrepreneurship and being in business is the journey of personal development. It is self-help. Like there's no way I wouldn't be who I am today if it wasn't for the journey of entrepreneurship right? Because you're out there in the world. I mean, nothing can challenge us more to push ourselves, to get out of, you know, our box to get out of our comfort zone. Nothing pushes us more and puts us on a limb more than being an entrepreneur. So it it is the journey of personal development. So I'm eager for there to be a third category someday, but at the end of the day, Lingo is a business book. But what's interesting about it is that the whole, you know, like the last third, two thirds of the book are business strategies, marketing and branding strategies. But the last third, one could definitely categorize it as self-help because the point I make is like, hey, I've given you all these great strategies. I've given you these specific action steps on how to attract your ideal customers. But now here's the thing. And I kind of say this in the end of the book, if you don't change your mindset, your daily practices... All that hard work you're putting in will, I mean, it it will have results, but at the same time, it's also what keeps people on the proverbial hamster wheel, right? Because you just keep applying more hours, more effort, but until you unblock what's in your way mentally, and until you have daily practices that create the positive flow that you want, you're just going to keep applying more effort, but not really getting ahead. So the last part of the book, and one of the things in that mindset, which is what made me think of this, is one of the things I challenge people to look at is what are their views of others? And I think this is so important in our world of social media because you know, so many of us, we want to be successful. We want to be rich. We want, you know, we want success in our lives. And yet when we see other people having that success, it causes angst for us. Or we secretly hold the negative opinions. I know, you know, like, hey, I've worked, I, as a photographer, worked with very affluent people. I heard all the negative stereotypes growing up about rich people, you know, none of which are true. You worked in Greenwich. I don't know what your experience there was, but I've worked there for, you know, when working with affluent people for 33 years, and I would tell you none of the stereotypes are true. Their kids are not raised by nannies. Their kids, you know, are, their parents are so involved in their lives, you know, they just they're huge contributors to their towns and their communities. So, to me, you know, you have to also look at what is your what is your mindset and your viewpoint of that which you want to become. And I think social media plays a big part in this. We need to not let it cause us anxiety. We need to also not believe that it's all true and just say, "Hey, if it's true for that person, good for them because there's more than enough to go around. I can achieve that too." And then just move on.
0: Jeffrey, I went through Amy Porterfield's webinars at Convert Program. I have to say I never created my webinar. As a result, I actually got more clients out of the program. <laughs> so, I, I never had a time. But <laughs> one of the things that she talks about is when you're on a webinar and introducing yourself. It's so important to connect. Yeah. And even telling the struggles that you've been through just so that you can relate and that the people who are on your webinar have that connection with you because chances are the connection if you're sharing all your successes just like you were just saying they're going to be envious. They're going to want to know how they can do it. But when you share that you were at that point once and you understand what they're going through, that gives the connection and it makes you more real. And that's what, that's actually a huge transition in how positive productivity came to be as well, because I realized I needed to stop trying to be more than I was and just be real about who I am. But I do have to share, Jeffrey, amusingly, one of the biggest interactions that I had while I was in Greenwich was actually with a family who had a nanny for each of their kids. (laughs) (laughs) And I was sitting in a meeting one day where it was a married couple. The woman called one of her nannies and said, Hey, I was just walking by such and such a department store. I want you to go and buy the whole window. Mm, Yeah, But there's definitely, I mean, as we already discussed earlier in this episode, there are the very affluent who are not like that and are still relatable and are just incredible people
1: i want to play with that because the key is that that would not be my ideal customer they would not have called a family photographer right, right. The, and that's you know i always said i think i had one of the most naive viewpoints of the world because people whose you know marriage is falling apart if the the home isn't in harmony and the family isn't happening they don't call a family photographer to record it right so my ideal customer are, are actually those customers that whose family is their priority so i'm not saying it doesn't exist but you know, for what I did and how I marketed myself and how my brand, my brand was built around, you know, really a deep understanding of, of my clients. Why I've had the same clients. I mean, right now I only photograph past clients. I don't even, I don't even market myself. I don't even take on new clients. I only work now with clients that I've, many of them photographing every year for 30 years. And they stay with me because I have such a deep, deep understanding of them. So to your point, I'm not saying it doesn't exist in the world, but they're not my ideal client. I my ideal customer. And that, that's the point of, of lingo. And, you know, let's talk for a moment about, you know, the name lingo, like why I came up with that. To understand every, you know, every, well, in a practical sense and what my discovery was, and, and to your point, I start lingo off with a couple of stories that are very vulnerable. I mean, there's things in there that, I, that I've not shared before as to how, you know, hey, the reason I even came up with this idea of, of speaking your customer's secret language was because I had a failing business. I struggled for three years I was failing miserably and realized I was trying to, I wasn't aligned with the, it was my hometown. I was trying to start my business in. I wasn't aligned with the values of that hometown, even though it's what I came from. I didn't share the values. I was trying to sell the values of, you know, you needed to have portraits to hang down, hand down from generation to generation. And I'm trying to promote that value in a town that's struggling to make the rent that month. So they're not thinking long-term. They didn't value what I did. So that's why I needed to find a clientele, which happened to be the luxury market that had the the money to value long-term planning. But the bottom line is I was failing as a business. And what I came to realize is that there's a way of connecting with people, what I ultimately I call their lingo. Like what's inside somebody's heart? What's their essence? Because I'm hoping, honestly, my, Kim, my big dream for lingo is that it becomes the new buzzword in marketing. The buzzwords in marketing for years now have been avatars and buyer personas, you know, very, and I've always, I've I've always been kind of fascinated by how all marketing words are like really negative. Like it's target markets and, you know, marketing funnel. We're going to squeeze them through a small hole. (laughs) Hustle, Um,
0: grind. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, very, you know, very attacking type of words and they don't work for me. And I, in fact, we don't even use the word marketing our business. We refer to it as enrolling. Like, what do we need to do to enroll people towards us, to invite people into our world? So we're not marketing at them. We're inviting people towards us. Different shift in mentality. But this idea of lingo and the reason why, you know, I want to get that message out there. I want to get people away from thinking about buyer personas and avatars, which are so surface level at best. it's knowing people's demographics and maybe their behavior. I think what's more important for entrepreneurs and small businesses, do you know what's in your ideal customer's heart? Do you know what they're thinking? Do you know what they're feeling? Do you understand their lifestyle? It's it's step number one in the five steps that I offer in creating the secret language strategy. The first step is perspective. Like with empathy, without judgment, it's truly understanding someone's perspective, how their life looks like from their perspective. Without judgment, you know, can you have empathy for that? right? So that you can understand what do you need to say, do, what does your business and brand need to look like? What message do you need to speak? What's their secret language? So that you're actually speaking what's on their inside. So you know more about them. I actually think this is going to be a requirement moving forward in business. I, I don't think consumers will continue to tolerate surface level transactional relationships like, hey, great, you know, my demographics, you might know what websites I visited. So you're you're targeting your ads at me, but you don't know what what I'm thinking. You don't know what I'm feeling. And until you figure that out, you don't get my money. Wow. And I think that's I think that's fair. (laughs) I think it's fair. I think it's very fair for consumers to demand that we we know them we get them before we earn their money.
0: Jeffrey, I am in the process, and this is not meant to be promotional. However, it's going to come across that way. I'm actually in the process of launching my group coaching program, the Positive Productivity Pod. And when I was going through my launch, I had a set price for it, monthly price. And hey, I'm totally transparent on the show, listeners. You know that. I didn't sell any. So I was talking to somebody. I didn't sell any memberships. And I was talking to somebody, and and he asked me, well, who's your ideal client? And I knew who it was, but I hadn't really thought that deeply about it. And I said, Well, it was me two years ago And he says, Well, tell me more about that person. And I said, Well, they're not sleeping. They are working more than they should. They don't have any money. And at the time of this recording, listeners, it were approaching the holiday season. I was like, They don't know how they're gonna buy Christmas presents. They don't know if they're gonna have Christmas. And he said, So do they even have ninety seven dollars to spend on your product right now? They might understand the value, but Are they willing to part with that right now if it means no Christmas? And I said, wow, you're right. And I'm not, I don't want to give away my products for free. Nobody should have to give away their products for free. But by totally getting inside, I got a better understanding of their lingo. He's like, so how how long is it going to take for you to make a transformation for them? And I gave him a time period. And he said, well, how about giving them a promotion? $1 for the first 30 days. They can get in, they can try it out, they can kick the wheels and then you charge them the monthly rate.
1: Or, you know, I'll give you an alternative. Please. And, and not that that's a bad strategy. Um, you know, and actually one of the five steps of, of building the, the secret language strategy, one of them is pricing. So I actually talk a lot about pricing psychology because it's so powerful. But here's the thing about pricing. People tend to think that pricing repels, right? Actually, pricing psychology done right actually attracts because pricing creates perception. I mean, you can you can give anybody, you know, we we all have uh, had the experience where we won't buy something because it's so cheap we think it's not good enough, right? So, pricing creates an immediate perception. My thought is without even having changed, you know, again, the the $1 strategy is not a bad idea, but I I like to always up the game. It's what I love about entrepreneurship is I love the challenge like, okay, the world is demanding more of me, which is what I love about this whole idea of lingo. Like I feel like the world is demanding that we know more of people than their demographics. So, hey, let's rise up to that. You know, I always like to look at the challenge. If you kept the price the same, what would you need to do to get them over the fence? And here's what would get them over the fence are emotional triggers. You can't get people over the fence of their own hurdles through logic. You have to really get deep into their heart. My belief is that you probably could have maybe gotten them over the fence if you spoke to their heart more. So one of the strategies that I teach in lingo is what I call it. It's the the most powerful thing, Kim, in marketing I've ever come across. I call it self-identifying questions. Because you were your ideal customer two years ago, and because you did the work to understand what's in their heart, and you have a willingness to speak their lingo my suggestion would be in marketing that program, you would pose questions which your ideal customer would say, wow, that's me. So you might say something like, are you stressed working really hard and still wondering whether you can afford Christmas presents, right? You know, something I'll say often if I'm promoting something, a coaching program or something, I might say, are you tired of working really hard, but hardly getting ahead? Right? Because I'll help, I help people get more strategic and, and open up those mindsets. Um, you might, if you know, if I want to achieve some high, if I want to reach some high achievers in business, I might say something like, "Have you already reached a really high level in your business, but you you know there's another level for you." Someone else I've coached, uh, she is a, what I refer to as a matchmaker for virtual assistants, right? So she finds the perfect virtual assistant for a business. And one of the things I'd said to her, I said, man, what would be really powerful to me? I mean, you don't want to run a billboard or an ad that says, you know, I can help you find a virtual assistant. What would be far more powerful is to place an ad that says, are you overwhelmed and want to get your life back? right? Because anybody that's feeling that would be like, oh my gosh, that's me. This person gets me. The solution to that is, hey, I can help you find a virtual assistant, but I can help you find a virtual assistant isn't interesting. It's not appealing. And many people may not even know what that is or how that's going to help me. But when you pose the question, are you overwhelmed and want to get your life back? If that's you, you'll be like, yes, tell me more. So, you know, again, self-identifying questions. I think it's the most powerful marketing tool because it takes it's your responsibility to figure out what's in someone's heart what's in your the heart and the essence of your ideal customer and then posing the question that addresses that thing that's most heavy on their mind
0: wow you just rewrote my sales page
1: <laughs> yeah i mean that's that's exactly what it is i mean it's, that's you would use that on a landing page sales page another client of mine who's a photographer she specializes in newborn uh, photographs. And the truth matter. she's a fabulous photographer, continually voted number one in the city, you know, in Boston, I mean, consit- always voted number one child photographer in Boston. And, you know, honestly, she tended to promote herself that way, you know, hire the number one photo- child photographer in Boston. And you know, I, I didn't see it as compelling and she specialized in newborns. So what I'd suggested to her, which is far more powerful because, you know, I have a parent myself, I understand what those, those, when you, to photograph a newborn, you're looking at the first two weeks after birth. That's the, that's the sweet spot. So what I had suggested she pose as a self-identifying question is, has your world stopped yet time is going so quickly,
0: Ooh. right? Because
1: that's exactly, you had children. Isn't that exactly what it felt like after you had a baby? Like your world stopped like, you know, nothing's more about, oh so my gosh, you know, this the baby, it's a miracle. Your world has stopped. And yet there's that cliche, wow, this is going to go by so quickly. I better preserve it with photographs.
0: Yeah. And, and I got to share. I mean, when I had my twins, if I had seen you Get Your Babies Photographed by the by the city's top photographer, the first thing that would have come through my brain is that's going to cost a lot. And I have a lot of diapers to pay or exactly. to buy. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's what I had said to her. I said, you know, it's probably a lot of people are probably thinking, oh, if she's the best, I can't afford her. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You know, so again, they're staying on the other side of the fence. They're not getting over the fence. It's the emotions. You know, the whole idea of, I'll give you a little background. The entire concept of lingo as a book actually started a few years ago when I wrote an ebook, which was a free ebook. And I gave some webinars and I gave some speeches around it. And it was called Emotional Branding Blueprint. Because I realized that the way I had always built my businesses and helped my coaching clients build their businesses was through emotional triggers. It happens to be something I'm really good at. I, you know, I was at a cocktail party once and we went on the table and everybody named their superpower and I named my superpower as empathy. It's something I've always felt I've had, really had a high, very high level of, like sensing and feeling what people are experiencing. So what has always been my most effective way of, of marketing and building businesses has been speaking to people's emotions and having those emotional triggers. So I created this ebook called the emotional branding blueprint, which was about how to speak to people's emotional triggers. And then that developed, you know, years later into what I'm now calling lingo, like just, you know, knowing, knowing a culture's lingo, the culture of your business and your ideal customer. You guys, you share a lingo just like teenagers share a lingo, right? Sh- teenagers intentionally share a lingo that they don't want their parents to understand, right? Um, so every I business has that
0: a, too, <laughs>
1: right? Yeah. yeah, you know, and it's like you have twins. I mean, I don't know if you experience this, but a lot of parents are twins, like to twins will communicate with each other, like they create their own lingo, <laughs>
0: right? Well, my that's you know, how they my, relate. Yeah, my husband's constantly saying to me, Do you understand what they're saying? But then on the flip side of the three year old twins, we also have. Teenagers. We have a 12-year-old, 15-year-old, and 18-year-old. So we're getting attacked by lingo childwise <laughs> from from multiple sides. No, I totally get it. That's incredible.
1: Yeah. And w- what you had said before is really critical that we're rare, you know, we're we're not always exactly in the same place our ideal customer is. There's a really good chance what we're doing in the world is solving a problem for our ideal customer that we encountered two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. We're almost always offering something to the world that we would love to prevent other people from having to encounter. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's why we're always, we're not exactly in the same place as our ideal customer, but we have the empathy because we have the experience and it's tapping into what did it feel like for me? One of the things I do with my coaching clients is I make them journal their experience from the moment we start working together because our growth together is going to be so significant that six months of working together, they're not going to remember that really difficult emotional state they were in for which they're going to need that so they can relate and speak the lingo of the people they can serve.
0: I've seen a lot of people asking, you know, what, what should I be doing? You know, I know what I do. And lately it's been just surrounding me either by podcasts or the books that I'm reading or even my own thoughts, but Hey, we're inspired everywhere. It's not necessarily what hmm. we're doing, Great point. but it's what we've done. Yeah. So I love that you brought up experience. I mean, sometimes the biggest value that we can offer clients, whether now or in the future, is based on our experience, life experience. It doesn't have to be some glamorous, whatever is the hot, marketable service on you know that's hitting social media right now. Yeah. But we can offer so much value just offering our experiences and our experience and life lessons to other people. Jeffrey, have you had a moment in your life that caused a big mind shift change for you?
1: Oh my gosh, so many of them. You know, actually, I wrote an article for Huffington Post a few years ago, um, Life Can Turn on a Dime. And I, I wrote that because it's a cliche phrase. But what I've learned in the, especially I think as we've become, you know, certainly a certain age of maturity, you know, that literally our lives can change on a dime. Like we can have a change of mind, a mindset shift that we suddenly can look at the whole world differently. And I think one of the most powerful ones for me was um, I was at a, a a coaching group in LA. And now you know, mind you I had actually I what inspired me to go to this event was I literally decided the night before because I had received a rejection letter for a speaking engagement that I'd been told I had in the bag. Uh, I felt I deserved, I felt that you know I was I had it as a shoe in and then suddenly got the letter that I wasn't chosen as a speaker. And it just hit the final straw for me. It just hit every every emotional pain point in my life of not being chosen and being the last one to be chosen. And it brought up so much emotional stuff for me that I knew of this event taking place in LA and and last minute decision, I decided I'm going to go, I need something. So I went and while we were there, the facilitator, the coach facilitator brought up this idea of playing a game and apparently audibly grunted. And he's like, well, what's that all about? I said, to be honest with you, I hate games. Like I just hate games because somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose. You know, and I, it's, I'm not a, I'm a competitive person, but I'm competitive with myself. I've never enjoyed, I don't play sports. I've never enjoyed, you know, Hey, I admire those that do, but you know, somebody wins and somebody loses. Like, where's the sport where both people win? Like, I, I like that. <laughs> so, um, or, you know, I love personal challenge sports. And, um, so kind of the long story short of this story is that through a series of exercises, I realized, and this was a huge mindset shift for me that I realized that it wasn't that I was always the last one chosen in life, it was that because I hated the game, I hated the win lose game, I stood last in line like I literally always i made sure I stood back i mean it all brought up memories of grade school when they were pulling together the kickball team, and I would slowly escape to the back of the line because I didn't want to play the game right. But here's the thing, and this was my mindset shift. You can't go around whining that you're the last one chosen, you're the last one in line if in fact you're putting yourself last in line. Right. That was an immediate mindset shift for me that I came out of that event. I contacted the organizers of the speaking group and said, you know, I just don't accept that I wasn't chosen. Let's talk about this further. And you know what? I got the event. (laughs) It was a national speaking engagement. Because I decided to finally to stand up for myself, I finally put myself in the front of the line and said, "I don't agree with this decision. I have the experience. I, you know, I, I listed all I said. just something's off here. And, um, you know, I put myself first. I put myself in the front of the line, and I was chosen. And that's still an ongoing struggle for me. I still tend to be the type of person very often to hide in the back of the line and then complain that I'm not seen. And for me, it's a daily reminder. It's like, no, put yourself first, get yourself out there, be visible. And here's the thing, Kim, it's not about visibility. My ego doesn't need the stroking, honestly, not that I have a huge ego, but it's like I'm confident enough. I'm confident in who I am. I'm confident in my abilities. That doesn't need stroking. I just want the visibility so I can do the work. I want the visibility so I can have the impact. I want the visibility so I can help others. That's why I'm here. That's why I wrote a book. It's like, this is about impact, right? So- Standing in the back of the line wasn't helping me serve anybody. It wasn't helping me serve myself. And that's my daily reminder. It's like, no, take your place in the front of the line and demand to be seen so that I can have the impact that I want to have.
0: What you just said, I want to take the whole thing and put it on my on my website because that's exactly how I feel. My ego doesn't need a stroking, but I, I know I have a greater purpose. And if I'm not putting myself out there, then I'm not serving the people who really need the messages that I have to share. Exactly.
1: Yep. hundred percent. It's, uh, yeah. Cause you know, we, we can tell, we can tell those that are ego driven, all right. And, and we stay away from them. But, you know, one of the things that I, I spoke about often with, the, with my clients that I coach and if they're struggling with sales, which a lot of people do, you know, and again, this is largely lingo is an energetic feeling, you know, it's, 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 when you get someone, it creates an energetic connection that goes beyond words. And that's the irony of it. I wrote a book called Lingo, but it's actually about what you wind up, by speaking someone's lingo, you end up creating something that's deeply profound, that's unspoken, right? And, um, you know, something I help people with sales is I've told, well, in, are you showing up salesy or are you showing up committed? Because it's very different. Like when you're coming from a place of authenticity and service and really desire of impact, you can actually be quite forward. And the energy you're creating is one that you're fully committed to that person's well-being. And it doesn't feel salesy because we know what salesy feels like, right? We know when somebody feels salesy to us and it creeps us out and we back away. And yet somebody else that can show up fully committed saying, no, you need to hire me. You need to buy this product. And this is why there's a way of doing it. That comes from such a place of authenticity because you you get that person and you totally are committed to being able to serve them. You actually have a greater latitude to be a little more aggressive, if you will, because it won't feel that way. I mean, I, I that's partly, again, from a practical standpoint, this is how I built my photography business. I understood my photography client's deepest needs. I understood that as parents, it was incredibly important to them to be responsible and to be responsible equally to all their kids, because when you have money, you can't send two of the kids to an Ivy League school and one of the kids to community college. Like when you have money, you have to treat your kids equally. And that's a big burden for parents, so much so that as their photographer, they knew they didn't have to worry about any of their kids having more photographs than the other, than the other kids. I knew the actual count in the home. Like, no, every child, every one of your children has the equal number of photographs on display. Every one of your children have been photographed at the same ages. So I would call them and say, you know what? We photographed Susie when she was five. It's time to photograph Johnny. He's turning five next month, right? I was speaking their lingo. They didn't have to ask. I just so understood what was important to them and their values. And, you know, my clients paid me thousands, tens of thousands of dollars. So that simple phone call or email to say, hey, we need to photograph, you know, Johnny resulted in a tremendous amount of income for me, but it never felt salesy to them. It felt committed. It felt like I was committed to their well-being. It never felt like I was making a sales call.
0: I am over here laughing because, Jeffrey, I have 10 frames on my wall that have been empty for the four years that we've lived here because with six kids and these 10 frames, I was trying to figure out how to get them all in an equal amount of pictures. So I've just <laughs> yep. left them all empty. <laughs> well, it's equal. <laughs> yeah, it is equal with zero. Jeffrey, this has been an incredible conversation. I want to thank you for all the value bombs that you've dropped. Listeners, you can go to thekimsutton.com forward slash pp254 to tweet out (laughs) any and all, because there's going to be a ton of tweetables in this chat. Jeffrey, I know you had a a gift that you wanted to share with the audience. Would you mind sharing that?
1: Sure. I mean, we've put together specifically for uh, your your community. And it's called the Lingo Media Kit. Uh, They can get it at jeffreyshaw.com forward slash positive. Makes sense, right? (laughs) And inside the Lingo Media Kit, there's a a visual, an infographic of the five steps of building the secret language strategy. And I love visuals and I think it's important to, to have them. So it's a really easy way to take a look at, hey, what are the five strategies, the five steps that I need to speak the secret language of my ideal customer? So there's the secret language infographic, There's a free chapter of the book, which is the chapter on perspective, which I think is it's the most important. It's foundational to the entire book. Um, And we also included an audio version of the free chapter, which, you know, as a fellow podcaster, Kim, I know you'll appreciate. It's totally fun. It's not your normal audio version, like those sound effects. And I've added more stories that I don't tell in the book and totally fun. So the audio version is a kick. So all that's together in the Lingo Media Kit. Again, JeffreyShaw.com forward slash positive.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. Jeffrey, where can listeners connect with you online?
1: Yeah, jeffreyshaw.com is, you know, honestly, if you get start with the media kit, the Lingo Media Kit, because, you know, if you, you find me there and you get a taste of what I do, and that's kind of, you know, that's kind of my thing, Kim, is I don't go around giving out my website a lot. Um, I try to give something that represents who I am so that if you like it and you get it, you're more likely to buy, be my ideal customer. I don't drive just all traffic to my to what I do. I That's the whole point. I'm looking to call forward my ideal customers. So, hey, if you feel like you get me and, and I've spoken your language at all, get the Lingo Media Kit because if you have that, my contact information is all over it and all my social media and I'm crazy on social media. I'm all over the place. Um, so start with the Lingo Media Kit. And if you like it and you feel like you get me and and I'm going to get you, reach out.
0: Awesome, Jeffrey, do you have a golden nugget that you can offer to listeners?
1: Yeah, I think yeah, my golden nugget is to... Not go through your life trying to prove yourself, you know, and that's one of the greatest advantages of working with your ideal customer is they already get you. They already value what you do. And it is life changing in life and business to realize that if you work with the right people, your ideal customers, you don't have to prove yourself, right? You don't have to. You're already working with people who like who you are. You know, when when I start working, um, I do a lot of coaching around lingo coaching and we start with, well, who is your ideal customer? defining who your ideal customer is actually begins with defining who you are. What are your values? Who do you want to be in the world? What do you stand for? And then building a brand where who you are and what you do and what you have to offer is highly recognizable to your ideal customer so that you end up working only with your ideal customers. When you work with your ideal customers, you don't have to go through your life proving yourself. They already like who you are. They already value what they do. They already want what you have to offer. It's an easier way to live. It is highly productive.